Welcome to today's episode of the L&T Chat Show. If you enjoy this or any of the upper episodes, please review, like and share. And if you'd like to participate in the show, then please use the contact email address in the episode description. For now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the L&T Chat Show. And today I am delighted to say that I have David Hodgkinson with me. Uh, Hodgie, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks very much, Roger. And thanks for inviting me on the show. I'm really pleased You're to be here. absolutely welcome. So my name is David Hodgkinson. Folks call me Hodgie generally. Kind of scares me if people call me David. Makes me think I'm in trouble for something. You know, David. <laughs> but I haven't quite changed my name to Hodgie Hodgkinson, you know, because it's a bit Beatrix Potter. You know, <laughs> along, along yeah. came Hodgie Hodgkinson. So I'll just stick with Hodgie. <laughs> But yeah, and um, I'm the Deputy Head of Law and Associate Professor uh, in the BAL faculty. I, it, interesting you said about being in trouble. The only person who ever used my middle name was my mum, and I always yeah. knew I was in trouble then. Um, and so we're yeah. here today. I mean, the episode is titled Secrets of an Award-Winning uh, Teacher. So uh, first That'll be up, me. <laughs> yeah, well, first up, can you tell us what are the things that, that you've actually won then? All right. Well, in 2014, I was the law lecturer of the year, the national law lecturer of the year, I hasten to add, uh, thelawsite.com. Uh, and then 2015, University of Derby, lecturer of the university. And here at De Montfort, uh, 2018, 2020, two vice-chancellor distinguished teaching awards. And I think, drumroll, the main one is last year, I was the bell of the ball or the bell of the ball. I won the uh, award for outstanding contribution to teaching and learning 2022. So. I mean, that's that's quite impressive. And as I mentioned, you know, before the recording started that I, I, over the years, I, I work really or I feel like I work really hard as being very student centred. And I've been nominated a couple of times in my previous institution and this one here and never won anything. And, and mm. I'm I'm not at all bitter about that. He lied. Uh, but I, you can come and look at my trophy cabinet well, if you want to. You know, well, I'll, I'll happily come along and, and, and maybe dust them for you. But I am genuinely interested in, in how do we actually get that last job. But before we get on to that, I just wanted you know, to, to give us some context, how long you've been teaching and at what point, you know, or how you kind of realised what it was that you needed to do to achieve um, such a great impact. Yeah, sure. Well, it's 23 years now. Uh, I started as a lecturer uh, in criminal law teaching for the Staffordshire University Law Awards in the, in the year 2000. Uh, since then, I was a senior lecturer uh, at uh, Buckinghamshire Chilterns University and then uh, to Derby as an SL and then to here at De Montfort uh, as a senior lecturer, but then became an associate professor. So that's been my career in education over 23 years. The actual uh, truth is I don't know how. I don't know why necessarily I have been fortunate enough or even lucky enough. I mean, some people say you create your own luck, but uh, to be able to get these awards. I mean, you say that you, I mean, as everybody knows, you're, you are a, an excellent example of learning and teaching, Roger. You're, you're so, too kind. Well, yeah, so perhaps there's a bit of luck involved in it. Maybe the look, the look of the day was with me. I don't know, but... When the, your question is like, how did it, when did I realise that maybe these things could happen? I haven't actually really changed my approach. Here's the strange thing: I think uh, I might have changed um, 
uh, adopted more modern approaches or, or thought about different objectives in teaching. But in all honesty, I think it comes down to character. Right. That, that, that's my basis of it. I think um, it's about, I mean, well, I know we're going to look at different styles, etc. And um, there's some, I'd like to go through some uh, points that I perhaps think that I do that might help people. But I think it comes down to character. But from the beginning, I ought to say, it doesn't mean you have to have a particular type of character. I think it just means that we should use our own characters, but ensure that we meet some common metrics with the students. And really, the essence, if I think about why I've been successful, is that um, I'm an honest guide for students. In fact, a student, uh, I mean, I always say this to students, you know, I'm an honest guide in the sense that um, I'm human. Uh, so I'm enthusiastic about my subject. I, I love law, particularly criminal law. And I think that perhaps gets over to the students and they pick up on that enthusiasm. Um, but I am human. I, I, I'm not afraid to tell them when I don't know something. Um, that changed when I when I was first when I first of all became a lecturer. If I didn't know something, I kind of been a bit of a panic. I was a little bit worried about a student asking me a question that I didn't know. And uh, it's quite I find it quite laughable now because back in back, back when I first started, if they asked me such a question, I would say, I don't know, but leave it with me. I'll find out and I'll get back to you next week. Uh, you know, I think that's wholly the, the wrong way to go. I don't even now. Maybe it's a confident thing. If they ask me a question, I say, I don't know. You find out and tell me next week. <laughs> so you see, I put the spin on it. So maybe it's character, maybe it's confidence. But ultimately, I think it comes down to that they can see us as human beings. Uh, so it's about some kind of connectivity, d developing a connectivity with them. OK, I mean, that it does sound like uh, obviously you've reflected and, and the style has changed slightly. I, I'm thinking about style and, and how they, uh, you know, how you develop that uh, only on the basis that um, I, I remember when I first started teaching. And, and at that point, I hadn't done a, a PG cap. So I taught how I'd been taught, which was basically somebody walking into a room, standing up and talking for 50 minutes while I furiously scribbled notes and realized very quickly um, from my perspective, then, of being the person at the front, that actually that was a terrible way of teaching. And, mm. you know, whilst the students fervently did write things down, they looked bored. I, I was bored and I love the sound of my own voice, as I'm sure regular listeners would realise. Um, and so I did have to start trying to think of, well, how can I make this more interesting? How can I make this more mm. engaging? And, and kind of that's what I've I've focused on. But I've still felt a little bit like. I, I don't know. There's there's a magic ingredient that that I'm I'm missing. And I'm just wondering if sort of reflecting back on on the career that you've had, you know, are, are there specific things where you, where you sort of think to yourself, yeah, that worked really well. And so I took that and, and I was able to repeat that. Or uh, you know, maybe it's even just something that you do in your lessons where mm. that particular thing or that particular approach seems to work really well in terms of the students responding to it. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, thanks for that, because you made me you made me think of something. Uh, when I read law, uh, my, I had a, uh, there's a subject called taught. It's about civil wrongs. And we had a lecturer and he used to sit on a chair at the front of the lecture theatre and he would 
talk to us about the, the, the subject. But I, it's weird. This one time I remember he was telling us a story about his wheelie bins and how his wheelie bins had been swapped with the neighbour and it transpired there was a big argument. And what he did was he went onto his neighbour's land, which in law is a trespass because he didn't have permission, um, to, check, to check whether his neighbour had his bin or which neighbour had the, had the wheelie bin. Um, now, that stuck with me. That had a resonance because there's, there's a twofold thing here. Um, first of all, everybody was kind of interested to know a little bit about this lecturer, um, you know, to know a little bit about his personal life. It was like, you know, uh, I always think it, it, perhaps we, we put lecturers on a pedestal sometimes, or students do, but it's to know again that they're human, that they are having problems in their lives the same as the students do. They do eat chips and have too much salt on it and, you know, people are complaining you shouldn't have that much salt because we are human. So there was that. But I think the beauty of it was, and, and I'm going to turn to another point in a moment, if I may. Um, it was the fact that he related that story to the, to the point we were talking about. We're talking about trespass in tort. And so the, the, the real life illustration uh, and getting a bit of a personal story from him it had an impact on the objective, the, the point we were trying to learn. So, and this is absolutely true. As a matter of fact, a couple of my friends who, who I read law with, I'm still friendly now, we often talk about this particular lecturer. And, you know, when we're doing our exams, for example, yes, we'd remember the principle and the authority, but we'd remember the story so it's easy to convey it. And we still remember it now. You know, and he had lots of them. There was stories about polo mints at the zoo, for example, and he went to a zoo. And uh, it just, it's just I, I could go on. But the yeah. point being, it's those links, those stories. And that's, I, I mean, to be honest, that's a method which I adopted. Now, I have to say, I think I'm a bit lucky in the discipline that we teach. Because, you see, with law, law is based on case law examples. So it's based on stories if you like it's based on factual stories and then legal principles come out of these facts so you know two people are having an argument or whatever it goes to court so when we're teaching law we tell the students first of all about the factual story so in a way i'm lucky because that, that kind of gets them involved it is like storytelling and then what I do is, um, I never kind of script this, but I mean, we're going, I'm going to let you into some secrets, seeing as we're all, <laughs> all uh, colleagues here. Um, I tell them stories but the, uh, from my own personal life, uh, but they're the same stories each year. And the students are thinking, wow, he's letting us in here. This is a great story. But uh, when I'm talking about the legal subject, it prompts me to, a, to the, you know, to the, to the well-trodden path of the story that I use to illustrate theft, for example, uh, or the story I use to illustrate assault, you know, from my own personal life, you know. And so I bring them in. So when we're doing theft and burglary, for example, I say to them, uh, you know, I have committed theft 
and you can almost hear a pin drop in this lecture, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and they're like, what? Did he just say that? He's committed theft. And then I tell them the story about when I was nine, I went into Betty Dorber's shop, a corner shop in uh, Dove Holes, a place called Dove Holes near Buxton. I lived in a place called Chapel Enley Frith. And there was this great big bell, and we used to call it Betty's Bell. And so you'd open the door and it would clang, you know, and then Betty, who was asleep in her back room, she'd come out of the room and serve us, you know, with, you'd, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, this one day I opened the door and the bell did not clang. The, 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 the clanger was stuck. Ah. <laughs> So, but and I always say to the students, say, look, you know, I was honest. I closed the door, the front door, tried to open it again, but the clangor was stuck. And I looked through and I saw Betty and she was asleep in her chair. And I thought to myself, I can either wake Betty up or I can get as many sweets from the penny tray into my pockets as possible. <laughs> you know, and I say to the students, which one do you think I did? Anyway. Uh, bear with me. I mean, uh, and then th they realised that you know I wasn't actually I wasn't, I wasn't convicted for theft, and I was a kid, so they they give they cut me a bit of slack, should I say? But my point being, then I explained to them I fit in the elements of theft. So like the taking the sweets would be legal appropriation. The dishonesty behind, you know, I saw Betty but then still nicked the sweets. That's dishonest, etc. And yeah. the students, the students remember these stories and then like i say we're lucky because law is a subject i can then use case law examples and take the stories from those cases and, and so layer it so the way it works in my lectures i'm talking to them about law but i have a kind of a another running theme so i kind of go to the life story and then, so, for example, I came out of Betty's and I walked down the road and I went to the wreck. Right, we used to have a wreck. You might call it a park or whatever. And yeah. I was like a mafia don. You know, I was there, had all these sweets, you know. Kids were on the swings. I say, no, have you got any sweets? I say, yeah, here's a, here's a sherbet dipper, you know. Here's, you can have this raspberry lolly. And I felt great, you know. So I, I, I moved the story on. But then I go back and talk about legal principles. So... I think I'm lucky. That's what I, I don't know how. Maybe it is a character thing. Maybe not. I don't know. But I try to make the lectures engaging and interesting. I suppose some subjects, like if you're teaching a different subject, it might be more difficult to do that. Well, I mean, one of the things, I, and I think I've said this a few times on the podcast, is that I always feel very lucky to teach marketing simply because uh, everybody is involved in marketing. Everyone is a consumer. And therefore, uh, if you say to people, so, for example, when I'm teaching uh, pricing, you know, why don't we all just buy the cheapest? And of course, you know, there's a thousand reasons why we don't. And and pretty much everybody in the room goes, well, I don't buy the cheapest because. So they have an answer to a question mm -hmm. which directly illustrate something in in terms of marketing but mm. you're right i think maybe it's harder in other uh, subjects but i also wonder whether there are other ways of telling those kinds of stories so uh, i can't remember if i've actually mentioned this on a on a podcast before but the one lecture that really stands out to me out of my entire time and it actually happened after i'd started teaching so we had somebody come in from uh, birmingham university to teach the tourism life cycle and they did this uh, by using they had a powerpoint but it was just 11 pictures of elvis <laughs> and what they did was they drew an analogy between 
uh, Elvis's life starting off as, you know, the, the, the sort of very uh, naturalistic and, and possibly slightly naive redneck version singing uh, really gospel songs through the period where he gradually becomes more and more commercialized, leading into the 30 odd films that he did. Um, and then really going into, you know, what artistically might be seen as a mm, bit of decline, mm. certainly from a personal point of view, as a bit of decline, uh, yeah. where ending up as, uh, you know, Elvis in the in the cat suit uh, yeah. doing the, the Vegas lounge before yeah. then, obviously, his unfortunate dis- demise on a toilet consuming a hamburger. Um, and it's absolutely stuck with me for almost the whole of my career. So that's nearly uh, 28 years. Yeah. Because I thought, well, what an amazing way to illustrate something. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether that's the the sort of the linking thing, that it's finding a way, not just an example of, but mm. an illustration of something that, that, that people can actually relate to. I mean, obviously, nowadays, perhaps my students probably wouldn't even know who Elvis was. But, uh-huh. you, you know, you, you, you could find other examples. And, and it, yes. it it does make sense that, you know, obviously... The law, like many things, is something which it isn't an abstract thing because we we all live mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. or slightly outside the law. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself now, uh, given that this is for public consumption, I hope there's a statute of limitations on yeah. <laughs> ten, ten year olds or nine year olds stealing sweets. Yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering whether whether you you know you feel that that is something in terms of storytelling, or are there other things beyond the storytellings that you think have had? Um, an impact well first of all to clear up that minor point below the age of 10 there's no criminal liability Ah, yeah there's a principle called doli in capex you're not you're not capable of forming criminal intent below the age of 10 so you know i I can give them all sorts of stories age nine it's fine (laughs) okay so you're you're safe as long as (laughs) they're all before you were 10 years old yeah that's it that's it yeah 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 um but yeah i think i think there are other things um it's about i mean we have we have overall thoughts, don't we? Like we say, look, be nice, you know, be compassionate, know the student, for example. Um, and I know that's not what this talk is about, uh, you know, kindness and warmth. I understand all that. But I think there is one thing as well, which, again, like I say, I'm going to keep focusing back to character, perhaps. Not everybody does like the character. I mean, you can't please all the people all the time. We know that. But I don't take any nonsense either. I don't take any nonsense, and the students get to know that quite quickly. So as, 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 a, as a teaching method, if you like, um, it, it's about classroom control. But I just do it on a basis of us being human beings and respect for everybody. So for, I can give you some examples. So, you know, um, I, there was once a couple of uh, boys who were reading a magazine in, in a lecture, and they were reading a, a car magazine. Um, this just about threw me over the edge, to be honest. And, I, and when I saw what they were doing, I said, look, you know, you've got to think you might not be interested in what I say, but I'm not just standing here trying to do this job. And, and you're just sat there reading a magazine which hasn't even got anything to do with the area. So and uh, and so they they put it away. And I think students respect that. Um, or, for example, you know, the age old thing we have, we have a student who talks or something like that. Now, I know there's a lot of, um, uh, shall we say, a lot of uh, uh, understanding around 
and uh, ensuring that students aren't singled out, for example, or there may be reasons why they're talking. I understand all that. But for, for me, if I ever have a student who's, who's talking too much, then, you know, in the lecture, I will just say, you know, please, if you wouldn't mind, please just don't, because it, it's just it's not it's not fair on me. I don't actually, I don't care about the other students around you. You know, if you're talking fine, they'll make their own decisions. They'll, they'll draw their own. There'll be some kind of uh, group type of, uh, you know, rule there. But for me, if you wouldn't mind for me, just if you get through this next 40 minutes and not talk, I'd really appreciate it. So um, I, I meet things directly and head on. Is that uh, classroom management, though? Is, is that something you experienced either as a, a student or, or earlier on? Is it something you developed or is it just something that that, that kind of came to you? Because I'm, I'm very much in, in the same situation. Um, and in fact, when I started very early on, number one, I, I used to have two rules, um, which I haven't had to implement for a while. In fact, one of them I abandoned because it was to do with having mobile phones out. Um, and the other thing was looking at... Uh, actually looking at some classroom management things which came from primary and secondary school but are extremely effective so things like uh you know if people are talking you you, you're in the middle of your flow and you literally just stop Mm mid-sentence stare at the people who are talking and when they eventually realize which they will do because people will turn and look at them Mm. and they they sort of you know sheepishly stop talking i then just carry on so i haven't actually had a go at them but they are aware of yeah, the fact that that's a good one they, they've caused the interruption or oh, there's a there's a myriad of them many of which i've tried yeah. um yeah. but you know you it, i think sometimes it is that that wanting to find a, a balance as you said you know particularly it seems in more recent times that there is a need for a lot more understanding of of students who have a lot more uh things which affect them which actually it can be very difficult to to sort of grasp. But I, I do know that I've spoken to colleagues before who've who've been very, very concerned about uh, being in a classroom and the potential for disruption and how they might handle it mm. and wanting to avoid uh, conflict. And I've always said, well, mm. you, you know, it's relatively easy to do. And I like the fact that, you know, you, you started with, please, can you not do that? And, mm. you know, mm. I, I think that's that's a, a, a good idea. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, going back to the original question, that mm. classroom management, did that come naturally to you? Was it something that you learned? Mm-hmm, or... mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I don't think I learned it. I, I've done the PG cert. I have done my fellowship, um, senior fellowship, but I don't think I, I, I ever learned that. And, and from when I started teaching, I had mentors. I don't, nobody's ever really talked to me about it. So, again, I think it just comes down to that a natural connection. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, this is going to, I mean, people might be sat at home listening to it thinking he's the most pretentious, professionally arrogant, you know, person I've ever heard talking. But I don't mean to be. I'm mean, just trying to get across, uh, you know, if we go to the emphasis of why I've got an award and you haven't, Roger. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It comes back to this character thing because I, I tell students straight and I, I, I'm able to have a connection, you know, so I can be talking. And even whilst I'm doing a lecture, if, if a student's doing something, I, I can like just look, look straight at them and say no. And then, you know, move on. I, I have this. Um, there's a nexus, as it were, between the student and myself. And I, I, don't, I think it's about perhaps knowing the student. I'm not saying it's about getting down with the student at all. I, I mean, I have a very strict 
lecturer-student divide. Um, mm. They know that, and I, and I have to say, I'm a fun person, but I'm very proper. And yeah. this, the, I think, this comes out in my my approach to my profession, but also approach to to life. I think I don't know why, but I just think you know, there's, we're probably losing uh, standards. Perhaps I, I'm very I'm a very moral person. I know people are sat at home sticking their fingers down the throat to hear this, but uh, I think it is about being proper and you know, to thine own self be true, as it were, right? and, and treat people as you expect to be treated, and and. Now, I, I'm going to just go out on a limb here. And, and the thing is, the, the, the students that come to us, they're not just here, are they, to um, learn the subject. This is a life experience for them. They're, and, you know, and we see a change in them. And they're coming to us generally uh, young, you know, 18, 19. And so it is about us, us, us almost having a moral duty to not only empower them, okay, uh, and I'm not reading this from, like, talking about now with the empowering university at all, but I, I think that's great. I, I do agree with that. But this idea that it's about we're going to give them that learning, but not just of the subject. It's it's about improving their life skills. It's about preparing them for the workplace. And, and that might come with a few arguments and a few complaints along the way. You know, I mean, I'm not without my fair share of complaints against me, to be honest. Now, Hodgie was horrible. You know, yeah. I've, I had that in module level feedback once. You know, Hodgie's horrible. Well, bring it on in one sense, because I know if I am horrible, I'm doing it for a proper reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do wonder sometimes, again, I, I've gone from... So thinking about the the PG cert, and I did mine after about uh, three years, so it's uh, what nearly 25 years ago now. And there was a couple of things about it. Number one, uh, I don't think it ever really talked about anything practical in the classroom. No. It, you know, it talked a lot about pedagogic theory, but you know, it didn't it didn't really train you for that being in the classroom bit. And I think sort of having to do a practical thing and reflect on that a bit more for a, a longer period of time would have been helpful. But I do remember being told, oh, if someone comes into the classroom late, you should challenge them, mm. um, which, which, you know, I would do. And then, uh, and I, I, I uh, apologies to uh, any regular listeners, because I think I've told this story before. I, I met a colleague um, who was a fascinating person and had, had a lots of very diverse experience. And her comment to me was, well, I have no idea, you know, why they're turning up late. And it could be for a host of really personal, mm. really traumatic reasons. And ultimately, they are still here and there will be quite a lot of students who aren't. So she said, I always make a special effort to go, oh, great. You know, good to see you. Oh, don't worry about mm. it. You know, and, and I've thought of thought, well, yeah, OK. Um, you know, maybe if ultimately one of the things that I want the students to do is to feel valued, I should be sort of making them feel uh, more welcome, more comfortable. Uh, I do a big thing at the beginning of every module about how they're all individual learners and, mm. you know, I want to treat them all as individuals. And so I'm very conscious of different people want different things. And if there's something that they're not getting from me, if, if they let me know, then, you know, I'll do my best to supply whatever it is they're looking for. But there is a little voice at the back of my head that's going, yeah, number one, you're pandering. And number two, there's a little bit of experience that says to me, it doesn't matter how much you do, it will never be enough. Mm, mm, yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, I know you've said, you know, you've got these 
these sort of rules in the way that, that you run the classroom. But do you think there is a, a, a balance? Do you think there is a point beyond which we actually do need to remind the students that they have a responsibility as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A great point. I always tell them that they've got to take ownership and responsibility for their learning and ownership and responsibility for their behavior. And, and I think that comes over again. Maybe it's message delivery. I don't know. To use your illustration of late students. So I was just thinking if a student came in late, um, you know, we, it's good that they're there. At least they might, you know, glean something from the session. And that, and, you know, and that's ultimately what, what the point they have tried to get there late I, I think the problem that we've had is is students other students complaining that they disrupt the class or something mm. so maybe that comes from within the, the lecturer so if i had a student come in late i probably would say great that you're here you've come at the best bit i was worried you were going to miss it so sit down there and listen to this and uh, you see so i can, I can control there Ladies, control their uh, uh, entry into the arena. <laughs> yeah, so, that, that, so there's different things, but um, yeah, and, and, and I think it works both ways, you know. And then if I'm late, they can't complain, can they? Either? You know, let's be honest about it. We're all in it together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess so. Although, again, rather boringly, and, and I, 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 I'm at the risk of uh, making myself appear quite arrogant as well. But I always say to the students, apart from one uh, stint right at the beginning of my teaching, I've always lived at least an hour and a quarter away from where I teach. I currently live an hour and three quarters uh, oh, drive yeah. away from where I teach. <laughs> And I've never been late. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Me too. Me too. Um, to and, and you sometimes. Or I'll tell think, them if I am beforehand. Uh, yeah. Well, no, bizarrely, I have never, never right. been late. Um, and, and there's lots of reasons uh, for, for that. Personal, <laughs> personal reasons that I won't bore people with. Um, but I do wonder sometimes whether you know there's a responsibility on us, not just to teach our subjects, but mm. but as you said, you know, this is this is about uh, it, it's about allowing people to develop as individuals and i wonder sometimes whether the part of that is the tension that that causes problems when it comes to uh quality delivery so it's this big argument about um you know at the end of a module if if you've been really jolly and happy and told lots of jokes and 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 done that and you you know you you've set a really easy assignment and you mark it really leniently then of course the students will say i had a really nice time on this module mm. but but have they have they learned as much from somebody who might teach them a lot more yeah. but in a style where you know they they don't feel particularly enthused or or whatever mm. and mm. clearly you've managed to find some kind of middle ground in this and and i'm wondering if there are any other things any other aspects of what you do that you think you know you could impart that that we could at least think about uh, and maybe absorb and and do ourselves yeah yeah well um i tell them i address the difficulty i get them to challenge policy again this might be subject specific but i tell them to challenge policies but i also ask them to challenge me i share with them uh, i mean university is that isn't it that's the whole the meaning of university sharing information so i say to them look you know i might know more about criminal law than you do at the moment but the point is i only know what i know and I'll tell you my side of things, but I encourage them to challenge me. And I say to them, come the day when a student's going to stand up and point at me and say, Hodgie, you're wrong. 
and this is why you're wrong. And that's what I live for and I love it. And so, again, it is, it is the nature of the, of the beast, of our discipline. There's two sides to it. You know, we're an adversarial legal system. So, and, uh, I, you know, I encourage them to look at journals and to try to discredit them, to discredit judgments, to discredit the academics, but say why, you know, because we often set out a message that it doesn't matter what you say as long as you support it with authority or a theory or something, etc., in whatever discipline it might be. So I think that's one thing is to get them to challenge. But um, again, I mean, we've addressed the fact of being human, getting them on side. Um, I might say things and I make a mistake. I I'm never bothered about that. Uh, you know, if it comes to me, I'll say, oh, you know, retract that. I didn't mean to say that. Well, you know, I've explained it wrong or, you know, um, uh, what, I'm try what I think I'm going to say is here that I'm fearless. Mm. That might help. Um, I, 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 I'm not I, I'm not a god of my subject, um, but I'm there to share information. And maybe this is one thing, particularly perhaps with our with our newer colleagues, that like gets back to, you know, not being able to answer students' questions. Maybe our newer qu colleagues are a bit fearful uh, that they perhaps don't know it all yet. But that's OK. They're, they're here as lecturers. And, um, you know, I mean, do you remember back in the day we used to say as long as you're one page ahead of the students, you know, mugging up stuff. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember starting and you think you're going to teach one subject. And the next thing you end up, you're teaching four or five subjects. So, yeah. you know, jack of all, as it were. But um, so, I mean, I think I think you're right there because um, certainly in terms of the the subject that I teach and the nature of the students that I teach because they're uh, business students, I have often said and and only slightly tongue in cheek that the big advantage I have is I read a newspaper every day. Yeah. And, and my students don't. It's it's not within the realm of of their engagement with the outside world to read well any kind of news source let alone a, a a newspaper on a regular basis and i do explain to them you know it takes about two minutes to read something online you know just to skim the front page and you're only pulling out the the things that are business related yeah. um but yeah no, i know i i i appreciate the idea of fearlessness but i i'm wondering how much of that comes with with experience so Absolutely. would you say would you say that that you know is that one of the things that maybe has developed over your um, yes. 23 years then that, yeah. that sense of of confidence in yourself do you think there's any advice that you could give someone particularly uh, sort of starting out in their career uh, anything that you would say to them that might help them a little bit in yeah. terms of developing that confidence absolutely i can hit that instantly just give them a sound base in the fundamentals. I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate the issue. And uh, I know people listening say, well, some, some issues are challenging. Yes, that's right. But we'll address that in a moment. The fact is, I think to develop confidence and to develop uh, the ability to come across as a great lecturer is just deal with the fundamental principle. Um, so... Uh, it's about perhaps showing them what the principle is and explaining, explaining it to them from two or three different angles, perhaps, or looking at it in different contexts, depending on the subject. But if, if somebody like, sat there and said, right, just give one, a one line advice for any lecturer, my advice would be just give them a sound base in the fundamentals. I mean, I think possibly the, the reason why 
that that might be perceived as difficult and i've i've definitely encountered this myself is there is that sense of i need to provide content because i want mm. a student to walk away going oh my god you know he covered so much stuff and i'm getting value for money and and certainly mm. if you're ever looked at from the outside and and people are going well what what are you covering and you go well i'm, I'm mm. doing all this stuff but at the same time, that's great. Students will walk away and go, oh, I think about all that stuff. But if you then ask them about it and say, OK, well, you know, what did you get out of that? What do you remember? Mm. And they'll kind of go, oh, I because they've, they've got too much. And so, I, yeah. you know, it, when if you're if you're covering stuff, do you ever is your approach that, OK, I'm only actually going to address this one small part. But what I'm going to do is find a number of different ways of covering it, because I'm conscious of the fact I've got a two hour uh, lecture to deliver tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not my favorite uh, thing of the week, only because it's two hours. Um, and, and I think it's a bit of a stretch for the students, you know, even if I were to give them a break. Mm. And I've had to find interesting ways of breaking the material up. Yeah. And, well, and so you you know there's that balance between between content and engagement sure, sure. I, I, so i think there's there's two things that come out of that comment first of all for me i consider what is my objective in other words what what do i need to them to get out of it um uh you know the sense of the the learning objectives so from this lecture what do they need to come away with so that's what i would focus on now yeah the, i mean if we address the sound base and the fundamentals the complexities will look after themselves like the discussion around those fundamentals build up the knowledge basis and we can look at it with you know and then in law we bring in different cases etc to build up the knowledge around that fundamental so if for me for a two-hour lecture so take uh, theft for example theft is spread really over about six hours three weeks of lectures so in the first one i would talk about the taking of the item this is called appropriation uh, what is property for example and um uh, uh, the, the um it, it, well in theft it has to belong to another so there's three main objectives i'd have to so my focus is for when they come out of that lecture they can say the part of theft is the appropriation of property belonging to another now my discussion around those is great then i'm free i'm unshackled because i know that at the end when they walk out that's what they'll take with them so my job is done as it were and then during the session i've really enjoyed it i've been flying around cases i've been giving them my own stories and I know that it all focuses on just those three heads, those three postulates of the the, the law of theft. So for me, it's about simplifying the objective, but then, of course, the creativity. It's about being creative about how I deliver the information and the stories and and the different ways that they're going to remember the objective, I suppose, or learn, should, rather than use the word remember, should use the word to learn the objective. So yeah. for, for me, less, so it's, it's the sound base and the fundamentals. But, yeah, it might be more complex about how I actually get there. That, that's, that's brilliant. Um, I am conscious of the fact that time is running away with us. And as you predicted uh, before we started recording, we could indeed ramble on for quite a lot longer. Uh, but for the moment, Hodgie, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. And, and keep on winning the awards, mate. Well, thanks very much. Have I got 30 seconds? You have indeed, yeah. I just, 
I want to say infect them. I think that's what you've got to do. We've got to infect them. So if we infect them so that they have a desire to challenge the lecturer in a, in a professional sense, a desire to challenge the information. And I just wanted to read to you the, the lines that were given to me when I won the national lecture of the year, because I think it contains some of the points that we raised. So it says, Hodgie is a lecturer who is just awesome. His knowledge of legal issues is great and his teaching style makes you want to learn more with each lecture. He is well organised and the lectures he gives are always a pleasure to attend. He is a funny man with a strict, no-nonsense attitude to bad behaviour, but he encourages excellence all the time. So there we are, everybody. I think that's all you've got to do if you want to win an award. Excellent. Hoti, thank you so much. Thank you, Roger.